I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geiser and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Lisa Murphy on Play, The Foundation of Children's Learning by Lisa Murphy. Let's get into it. Big announcement. After much deliberation, we've picked our next SLP book club book. I say that because we really don't take these decisions lightly. We always want to read books that are going to provide value to you, our listeners, the children you work with, and their families. And after wrapping up The Seeds of Learning and Lisa Murphy on Play, two books that had really big impacts on us professionally, we knew we needed to find another game-changing book. And we have. For the months of September and October, we'll be reading Beyond Behaviors by Dr. Mona Delahook. You know, just in the eight years that Adrian and I have been practicing speech-language pathologists, the way behavior is talked about and addressed has had a major shift. Many behavioral treatment programs take a one-size-fits-all approach without consideration for the child's individual differences or autonomic state. In Beyond Behaviors, Dr. Delahook provides us with a new context for understanding behavioral challenges with careful consideration of each child's individual brain and body. Tina Payne Bryson, who co-authored The Whole Brain Child, our very first SLP book club book, says, My hope is that not only parents, educators, clinicians, and all helping professionals read it, but that it becomes required reading for professionals in training. It's time for us to use science-informed approaches to go beyond mere behaviors to support children and their caregivers, and this is the book to light the way. We think that says it all. So grab a copy of Beyond Behaviors, we've linked to it in the show notes, and join us as we get started. Our first episode covering the introduction and chapter one will air Tuesday, September 5th. We can't wait to read this incredible book with you. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. Today we are concluding Lisa Murphy on play. We're going to discuss her final chapters and then our final thoughts on the book. Before that, let's play this or that. So we'll say two things and decide which one we prefer. Adrian, do you have one ready to go? All right. I am ready. I have a good one. My question for you is large crowd or a small party? This or that? Which one? Okay. It depends on how well I know the people. If I know the people really well, I would rather have a small party. 
But if I'm going into a situation where I don't know a lot of people, I think I'd rather just have a really big crowd where I can like bop around and not be kind of sitting awkwardly. I don't know, like not feeling like I know everybody. You know, I love a wedding where I don't know anybody. Yeah. When I first started dating my fiance 11 years ago, I went to a wedding with him within like six months in Cincinnati. And I was just like, this is so fun. Nobody knows me. They might never see me again. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, that is some freedom. That's kind of fun. Anonymous. Yeah. What about you? Large crowd, small crowd? I would have to say probably like small party kind of complicated. Large crowds can be fun. Like I love going to a baseball game where you're just sitting, you're just people watching. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. But then I agree with you, like a small party feels so much more intimate. I think I have a better time overall. Sometimes large crowds can be really overwhelming for me. So kind of a toss up. And I guess it depends on like the event. You know? Yeah, depends on the situation. We'll take both of them. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. My this or that for you is, would you rather dine out or have food delivery? It's also so hard. Sometimes I really like the experience of going out to eat. And after the pandemic, that was so sad where we could like not go out to eat the way we wanted to. So I feel like I try to take advantage of that now. But just being at home in your like comfy clothes with some like, I don't know, Thai food, watching a show really sounds like a comfortable situation to me. So yeah, I think I'm going to have to say uh, probably delivery, even though it's kind of 50-50 for me. It depends. Again, I guess I'm just feeling kind of indecisive today. But what about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. Of course, I love dining out. When I get together with my family, that's the most I go out. My parents love to eat out. We always have like all the restaurants we hit together that we have to go to. Yeah. But I am like a food delivery queen. There have been times in recent years where I've had to delete Uber Eats off of my phone completely because it becomes such a problem. But there is just something so luxurious to me in being able to go like, I want pho and you click, click, click. And it's there in 30 minutes from a great place. And then, yeah, you open up all the little containers and sit on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, like pho or ramen delivery, that's really it because there's so many like fun toppings. and oh, That's what I'm saying. Opening all the little things and pouring in little sauces. I love food delivery. Also, Laura, with where you live, like you have so many options to get delivered to you. I mean, I don't know. It's so tempting. Like, how do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I would it all the time. <laughs> I know. I do. I live in like a hub of because it's I'm not just limited to stuff near me like I could get stuff from restaurants in West Hollywood or Silver Lake like they'll deliver wherever now yeah anything you want yeah anything literally anything, anything in LA you want, <laughs> you want something let's get it okay do we have time for one more yeah here it is candy or popcorn okay are we talking about are we at a movie theater okay or... yes and I have a story to tell about movies but I'm gonna wait okay if I were at a movie theater and I could only choose one, it's going to be popcorn because you can just continuously keep popping those pieces in your mouth the whole movie. I always have too much because I'm like, all right, enough with the popcorn. But candy, I would be a little bit more like either I would finish it right away during the previews and then it's done. Sure. <laughs> or I feel bad, but popcorn never makes me feel bad. I eat popcorn every single night. What? Every night I eat popcorn. Every single night. <laughs> 
<laughs> what a fact. Okay, what about you? I guess, like, the heart of this question is, like, are you a sweet or a savory person? Really? You know, but in the context of the movies, I do like popcorn. The size of the bucket that you can get is just outrageous. No one needs that much popcorn. No. Yet it's, again, you're kind of like, but I can. And so I will. <laughs> and you go, I'll have a medium. And they go, well, for 25 cents more or whatever. You know, it's always yeah. the sizes and the prices are so ridiculous like they're all expensive but then the difference between them isn't that much totally so what i was gonna talk to you about is i went to the movies for the first time since before the pandemic i guess which okay i don't know why i'm bringing that up so much today but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i went and wow i just feel like things have changed Things have really changed at the movies, and I had no idea. Are you talking about the seats? <laughs> yes, the seat is, like, fully reclining. I'm like, I look over, <laughs> someone has a blanket. I'm like, you brought a blanket. <laughs> I know. And I saw the Barbie movie, and it was so good. Okay, yeah, I need to see it. Last summer, when I saw Top Gun, I was, like, reclined, yeah. leather seat, cup holders galore. You get alcohol. They bring you yeah, food. You like... <laughs> Yes. I don't know. They're really pulling out all the stops to get people to go to the movies. Yeah. I, it was great. My hip kept hitting the button for the recliner and it kept like moving. <laughs> it's like you get a ride. Yeah. I was like, this is out of control. Oh, that's amazing. But I really enjoyed it. Like now I can't wait to go back to the movies and I don't know. The thing is, I do want a blanket. That's the thing I miss when I'm at the movie theater. It's always a little too cold for me. Like I'll wear yeah, something that's sure. kind of like a shawl or poncho just so I can feel wrapped up you're like this is my movie poncho <laughs> poncho i live to the movie yeah i'm just like i feel so exposed i like to be all cuddled up you know what laura just say whatever and just start bringing a blanket seems like other people are doing it you might as well oh my gosh it's so funny okay that wraps up our little game of this or that stick around after a quick break we're gonna finish discussing lisa murphy on play the SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP book club. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G. SLP? I am such a huge fan and I'm here to sing her praises. <laughs> Since I'm a teletherapist, I use boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her Lidcomb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a Connect Four donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. <laughs> the best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. 
Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based, and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. All right, welcome back. Let's get into Lisa Murphy on play. We're going to be discussing chapters 17 and 18 and then wrapping up with our final thoughts. So these are just little short chapters where Lisa really gets up on her soapbox and gives her final arguments for why we should be doing play, what we should be telling to other people who don't believe in play at a young age and blah, blah, blah. So chapter 17 is called Challenges We Face. Lisa starts by explaining why she wrote the book. She knows that most preschool teachers are already doing the seven things. It's like, we're not saying, oh, everybody's just focusing on academics and there aren't any good preschool teachers. Of course, there are a tremendous amount of preschool teachers who are doing this. But Lisa wanted to prove why we should be doing them with kids every day and prove that those kids are going to be just fine when they go to school. They're not just going to be like, but we are used to playing. (laughs) That's what we do at school. And she also wants to remind us to work on the seven things with all kids, even as old as college. You're never too old to be creating, moving, singing, observing, reading, discussing, and playing. And when we do these with young children in particular, they end up going to school excited to learn. She says, you don't have to create a new schedule. The seven things are not a checklist. But she did give this little example schedule that seems really fun (laughs) with one hour blocks. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was just like 8 a.m., create, 9 a.m., move, 10 a.m., sing, and 11 a.m., discuss. What a beautiful little day. You don't feel rushed. You just have that whole hour where I just picture that create means She says, okay, everybody, you can do art or blocks or, you know, everybody can just choose the way that they want to express themselves creatively for an hour, not just like moving from thing to thing. The preschool programs that I worked in that were play-based were also centers-based and the kids would move from center to center in 15-minute blocks, I think, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And sometimes I didn't feel if I brought in an activity to do for speech, I didn't even feel like I could get through it, you know? You know, I think that was one of my big takeaways from the last episode was I, I mean, I know that she talks about this throughout the book, but I really had not considered how rushed kids might feel that time is kind of different for kids versus for adults. We're so used to being really regimented and just kind of moving along and 15 minute blocks, 20 minute blocks seem appropriate to us. But to think about kids you know, the freebie that we created, the quote that she has in the book, like this is a child's place and we move at a child's pace. I don't know. That has really helped me to kind of like be more present, be a little bit more grounded, especially since I'm working with younger kids currently. It's been really helpful for me, like a good perspective shift, I think. Yeah. And I think that the reason we have these centers that are quick and they move through a schedule. Okay, we have 45 minutes for centers. We have three centers. So you're going to spend 15 minutes at each. And then, you know, if one is blocks and the kids get building and then you're like, ding, 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 clean up, clean, you know, it's, 
yeah. They probably are so annoyed that they're just starting to get going. They're creating something. And then you're just like, move to the next thing. So I think these are based on, it's kind of harmful when people are saying, these are the attention spans of three-year-olds. This is the attention span of a four-year-old. We get in our head that they can't really attend to an activity for long. Right. But maybe it's the activities we're presenting. (laughs) Maybe we're not giving them enough choice so that they can find something that really interests them. Right. So Lisa knows that there will be challenges. And if you notice that you're a little light on one of the seven things, just try to work in some of the activities that she's provided in this book, you know, slowly. It doesn't have to be that you overhaul your program. There are obstacles or common challenges that we face when we implement the seven things. And Lisa lists many of them here in this chapter. That's the rest of chapter 17 is just here are the challenges. And she's gone through them all throughout the book, but I'll just list them. (laughs) I'll list some of them. So challenges you might face when you're creating. A lot of people only think creating is visual arts and don't think of it more widely. Maybe there's not enough money for supplies. There are arts-based academic standards, and that's how people think that they've fulfilled the requirement to do art. People are doing the creativity killers. Right. That was one of my favorite chapters, those creativity killers. Yeah. And the laminated ladies are still out there teaching and ruining art. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Challenges to moving when people take away recess or think that there should be more focus on academics. Instead of things like physical education, equipment that's removed for fear of lawsuits that she says are unnecessary or, you know, non-existent, busy schedules that interfere with outdoor time, and a belief that outdoor time is wasted. And then challenges to singing. Singing is often seen as an extracurricular frill, she says, and so it's often the first thing to be cut. We've forgotten the power of our own voices. We've forgotten the words to songs we knew when we were kids. We think we can't sing, and we're not aware of the importance of musical intelligence. Challenges to discussing are engaging in the discussion destroyers, not making time to talk to children, an imbalance in DAP, so an emphasis that has switched from things like communication, social skills, and problem solving to literacy, math, and testing, too many screens, and talking at children instead of talking with them. Challenges to observing are that we look, but we don't see. We hear, but we don't listen. We have no touching rules because of liability. Sensory experiences are seen as messy and a waste of time. And child care centers smell like cleaning supplies instead of all the beautiful things that Lisa says they should smell like. Challenges to reading are that school libraries have turned into computer labs. There's not enough money for books. You know, screens have become our storytellers, videos and computers. Kids don't see grownups reading enough. They see us on our phones and children aren't being read to. Mm. And then challenges to playing are that we don't have enough time. There's so much focus on academics. Children playing look like they're not doing anything to adults. We've forgotten what it's like to play. So we have that amnesia and There's a lack of awareness overall of the power of play on the social, emotional, spiritual, cognitive, and physical development of children. And we are feeling the need to defend play instead of just being able to implement it. That was chapter 17. Challenges. You know, I did want to talk about this because for me, 
I think I've talked about this a little bit and I just mentioned it, but with my job that I'm doing right now, I'm in early intervention and I have been singing more with the kids, like especially if they have a body part goal, you know, that they'll name five or identify five body parts. I'll do like head, shoulders, knees and toes. And the kids love it. Like Mm -hmm. I find, you know, probably about 50% of the time they'll engage with it and you can make it so fun. You can go fast. You can go slow. They love to go faster and faster. And Are you singing with no music? Yeah, I'm just acapella, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, it was great. I don't. I had one little kid request a Michael Jackson. I did have to bring Spotify out so we could dance to Michael Jackson. <laughs> he was probably like two. It was really cute. If I can tell that they're wiggly, you know, I'm just like, okay, let's sing. And we get up and we've been singing and if you're happy and you know it, like that's a good one too. Stomping, clapping. Oh, I love that one. Following directions. Like I think there's a lot of songs we could use to target these speech goals that we're working on, especially for like preschool kids. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like self-conscious sometimes. Maybe it's because I'm not using any music. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been really fun. Yeah. No, I do think that there are a lot of songs. I was also yeah. going to say we have a couple of classmates from grad school. We have one who I know brought her guitar. She keeps her guitar in her room and she plays her guitar and sings with kids. Another one who I know she has a really routine, you know, kind of like you said, where that's fun. she has songs she opens with where all the kids get involved. Like who came to speech today? Oh, that's fun. Gosh, maybe we should have them on for an episode. I don't know. To talk about using music and speech. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm very curious. So moving on to chapter 18, Lisa's final thoughts. Okay. Let's get into her. I mean, she's been using the analogy the whole time of the foundation and the house. So play is the foundation for later learning. Play is the foundation that it has to be built on. She says, if we build houses with no foundation, they will continuously crumble and collapse. When kids don't succeed, we think they need more and they need it younger. So this leads to more academic Mm. instruction at younger and younger ages, when what kids really need is something different. They need play. It's not, oh, well, we've taught them the ABCs, but maybe now we should be teaching them sight words. You know, it's not like we need more academics. No, back up. Don't even worry about the ABCs so much until they're ready for that. You got to get the foundation built. Yes. But she says parents do this out of fear. They have a fear that their child won't be successful in life if they don't get started early, a fear that they won't get into college if they don't get into a certain preschool, which we've mentioned before is just absurd. Yes, yes. I think New York is a place where that's the case. Maybe a little bit in L.A. There might be some circles in L.A. that think the preschool you go to, like a prestigious, we know the preschool you go to is important. Yes. But going to a prestigious preschool, a preschool that promises you that your kids will be successful in academic. I don't know. For some reason, in my mind, I always just associate that kind of thing with like New York, like New York City. Yeah. Like an East Coast thing. But I guess it probably exists in L.A. too, just not within our circle, (laughs) (laughs) but probably other people. (laughs) No, no. Then she says that the people who think that if you're doing play in preschool, kids won't want to learn later are getting one really important thing wrong. They believe that learning is something that children would want to avoid. So they're picturing that kids are like, oh, learning, learning, and that we basically have to like force it on them from a young age. Sure. But 
Children are naturally curious about the world around them and they want to know how it works. So she said that you can walk through her childcare center when she had it and immediately she could identify the kids who were new to the program versus the kids who had been there for years because the kids who were new were just, you know, they were playing with Play-Doh and creating and covered in sensory materials right. and they were just so excited about everything versus the kids who'd been there for a long time were sitting quietly reading, reading to each other. They had already had that time to explore and discover and play and move. And they were hungry for more. They mm. wanted to learn. They're the kids that came to her and were like, teach us to read, you know. So once you have that time, that uninterrupted time to build that foundation, kids are curious. They want to learn. They love learning. And she says there's a big difference between building a house because the foundation is strong. So those kids have a strong foundation and they're ready for their houses versus building a house just because there's pressure to go to kindergarten. Like, mm -hmm. it's time. We've got to start. There are some kids that are just going to take a little longer. And be careful of your own agenda or impatience. And I'm going to mention her again. There's a woman on Instagram, Kristen R.B. Peterson, who does a lot of play-based. I know she's a fan of Lisa Murphy, lots of yeah. play-based content. And I think she made a post about how her son didn't start reading. No, didn't go to school and didn't start reading until second grade. And people were like, you're crazy. But she was like, he wasn't ready. Mm. And then when she knew he was ready and went to school, he just picked it up so, so fast, just flew through it because he had that foundation. He was given the time he needed. Mm. And some kids we know are not ready in kindergarten. It's just a fact. <laughs> some kids aren't ready. Yeah. Some kids move at a different pace. It's really interesting because especially what you were saying about learning, what an adult view to take that we have to like implement this structured learning environment for them to pick up these things. When just like you're saying, if you watch a child at the park, you're going to see them just naturally really engaging with nature and learning. And I, I don't know, I really love that part in the last chapter where Lisa broke down, like it looks like this on the surface, but here are all the different things that are really happening just by having like a sensory experience or just by building a block castle. So yeah. many different things are falling into place. So I wish we would give kids the benefit of the doubt a little bit more, but it always feels like this power struggle kind of where adults feel like they know better. Yeah, I know what's best for you. Let me shove this learning down your throat right. instead of letting you learn the way you're naturally learning. Right, exactly. So then Lisa, this is where she really gets on her soapbox about being the change you want to see in the world. So she says, in your community, get to know the teachers and principals at the schools your children will attend. If you don't like how things are being done, write letters to elected officials. Know your stuff when elections come and get to know the candidates so you know where they stand. Get involved in schools or if you don't like the schools, homeschool or start a co-op. This might not be an option for everybody. Yeah, sure. And just get really involved in your child's education. Make sure you know everything you want to know about their day, the curriculum, lunch, recess, what happens when they need to be more challenged, individualizing education for kids, testing, and know the teacher's philosophy and make sure it's in line with your own, which yeah. also might not always be possible. <laughs> But she said, we can create a community where educational success is not measured by grades and test scores, but by, and this is a quote from Lisa, the thought behind their questions, the wonder in their faces, the curiosity in their spirit, the persistence in their investigations, and imaginative, innovative suggestions. 
of course that would be beautiful but everybody's like we've got to measure it yeah of course of course kids who grow up in environments where discovery and wonder are celebrated become adults who celebrate discovery and wonder and education is not the filling of a bucket but rather the lighting of a fire we have to keep the fire burning for the kids we work with because that fire will create a strong foundation and she gives a really powerful metaphor on one of the last pages i mean I've got chills right now. Read that last chapter if if you're following along. Read those last couple of pages because she really gets passionate. Yeah. So she says that when you look around and other people's houses are being built quicker than your own. So that means other people's kids seem like they're further along. They know their ABCs. They're reading already, you know, and you start to worry because your child, the foundation is still being built. It's just a wet mound of cement. <laughs> But she says that what you don't know is that in the dark of night, they started building a house when the foundation wasn't set. You know, they were like, no one will know. Right. (laughs) right. Their child isn't ready. They're forcing it. They're pushing it. And parents are really sacrificing their child's experience for their own egos because they want to win. Mm -hmm. You know, parenting is a race. Parenting is a competition. And they want their kid to be the Mm -hmm. best. If your child's foundation is still being built and you're losing patience, don't worry because it won't take forever. It will take how long it takes. Provide what your child needs to get that foundation built. She says, you don't need to rush. Why do we need to rush? The foundation will support them for their whole life. So it doesn't matter if it takes until they're six or seven. As long as you've got that strong foundation, that child will be successful in their learning. And then, Adrian, I've got an announcement to make. I finally cried for real. The tears broke my eyeballs. They broke onto my face. Oh, my gosh. You finally <laughs> cried. I mean. Wow. Thank you for joining me. Finally. <laughs> the last paragraph of the book, when she talks about lighting the fire and she does has yeah. that quote, you know, like um, that a candle doesn't lose any of its light when it lights another. I was like, Lisa. I know. (laughs) The passion, you know, her fire, her desire to spread this and make sure that kids are learning in this way because it is what works and building a better future for everybody. It reminds me of like, I know I always compare to health stuff. There was this period in the 80s and 90s where things were just getting misconstrued. Research was being done like the low fat movement that we all know was wrong, you know, right? (laughs) where everyone was like, it has to be low fat. You have to eat lots of carbs that are low fat. And it was a disaster. (laughs) It didn't work. It's not right. It's not what we should. We should be eating healthy fats. And I think that this push came about around the 80s and 90s where everyone was saying, oh, kids need to be exposed to this many words in the home and we have to get some kids caught up. So we need to be like doing academics way younger and younger and younger. And we're seeing that kids aren't learning as well anymore and they don't have that fire because their their houses are crumbling. When we talked about we don't see kids reading the way we read when we were little. I mean, what is that? Why don't they want to read? Why don't they love it? Is it because we're on our screens or is it because they didn't develop that fire, that love for learning? I don't know. Or yeah, the internet. Is it the internet? I know. It's probably the internet distracting everyone. It's a little bit, it can feel a little overwhelming, you know, to try to figure out what's the source, what's the cause. But this book is really Lisa's manifesto. She is so, the whole time I'm just like, wow. I wish every early childhood educator would read this 
just to get some of that joy back or like maybe people are feeling burnt out. This is such a great book to reinvigorate, you know, give you your why, kind of help you get back to what's truly important instead of getting so caught up in, you know, kind of the administrative stuff and feeling like, you know, I don't know, test scores and all that. Yeah. What a beautiful book. I loved it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I loved it too. I've been feeling so inspired, even in my therapy. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, Laura, I wanted to bring up, I heard that you found the recipe for clean mud. Yes. What are your plans for that? I'm dying to know. Okay. Well, I have a client who comes to my house on Sunday, so I think I might mix up a little clean mud. And I can't decide, okay, he's three, so should I make the clean mud with him or should I have it ready? You know what? I'll have the toilet paper shredded. I'll have the soap grated, and then we'll just mix it together with the warm water when he's there. I need the breakdown of like how time intensive this is because when you said soap grated, I'm fully imagining you like with a box grater and the soap. How long is that going to take? I know, I know. Which is the problem, right? Because look at me. I'm already like, that's going to take too much time. Who has time for that? That's the whole problem. We are the problem. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the problem. (laughs) Because there is no downside to this. The woman, I sent you a recipe for clean mud and she said she found soap flakes in the laundry aisle of the grocery store so Hmm. i don't know what soap flakes are but i'm gonna look (laughs) i'll look today okay that's like a good hack clean mud hack (laughs) okay if i make clean mud i will post either a video or pictures of it (laughs) yeah because i'm just real world real world results they're saying that the texture of it is fantastic so i'm excited i'm gonna look through all of my maybe my play-doh stuff for like tools that we could use with it oh yeah fun (laughs) so we'll see oh my god okay so i did write down a couple takeaways like you said we have more evidence now i love having the evidence to tell people this is why we should be playing this is why you should send your kids to a play-based preschool and then i'm going to be making sure i incorporate the seven things into my sessions more i think the areas where i'm needing to work our movement and singing. And we already discussed singing. Yes. There are people on Instagram like Julie from Talk With Toys who just, you watch her videos, she just is always moving. Like she'll be on the playground, on the slide, running up and down hallways, dancing around. And so I just need to see more of that, get inspired and get moving more with my little kids that I work with. Yes. Oh, and then You know, I've already been implementing, especially after we did the discussion destroyers, I have been so focused on trying to not ask questions I already know the answer to. And I didn't know how often I do it. Usually it's colors. Colors are, they get me. I always go, oh, what color is the boat? And then I'm like, in my head, like, why did you just ask that? You know what color that boat is. Why don't you just say? Well, listen, Lisa says, don't beat yourself up. So don't, don't be hard on yourself. We're all learning. I know, I know. Awareness is the first step. (laughs) But then the other thing I've been doing, I was at a client's house. I had a bunch of fun stuff. And a lot of times when we do one activity, I feel like when we finish it, it's done. And so if he moves to something else, I've been just, instead of trying to control everything, I am like loosening up the reins. If we're working on a puzzle, 
And then he goes, what about this? And he looks at something else and wants to start something else. Instead of me kind of like frantically putting the puzzle away so that cleanup at the end of the session is faster, I'm just leaving it. Because what if he wants to come back to it? You know, some kids don't just focus on one thing. Some kids want to see all the stuff that you have. They want to pick what they want to do. Maybe they'll come back. And he did. We moved from one thing to another. And then he would go back to something and work on it some more. And I just let him lead yesterday and was feeling way better about it because I was able to be so much more present. I wasn't frantically trying to control things and put things away. Mm. And it helped a lot. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something that I have been sort of recognizing in myself too is, okay, I'm doing like an early intervention session and we're, you know, in a private practice setting. I have maybe like five things ready to go, right? I have a play kitchen and I have Mr. Potato Head and I have a baby doll and bubbles or whatever. And I have noticed too that some kids, their attention is way more fleeting. They're going activity to activity and I am like trying, I feel like a crazy person. I'm like, oh, we got to clean up. Are we all done? If we're all done with the kitchen, we got to mm-hmm. clean up. And then I'm just like, why am I doing that? I tell myself it's because I don't want I them know. to trip or fall if there's stuff all over the floor. <laughs> or like, you know, the garage for the cars is pretty tall. And I want it to be kind of out of the way. If we're playing with bubbles next, they might <laughs> trip. I don't know. But I'm like, is that really the truth? Or am I just being an insane control freak? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, and it's that thing of it takes you so out of the moment when you're worrying about it. Right. And, you know, I know there's kind of an argument about like, oh, we should just do child-led, you know, like child-centered, child-led versus, yeah. well, no, I kind of need some structure. But when kids are really young, what's developmentally appropriate? Right. They play that way. They just moved from thing to thing. And then I have other two and a half, three-year-olds who could sit and focus on one, you know, I only need one thing. Sure. They'll just play with a train for the whole session. And that's the thing they need. But, Mm -hmm. you know, letting the kids that you work with play in the way that they play and you are just facilitating. You're not there forcing them to, no, 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 let's finish this book. If they're done with the book, (laughs) they're done with the book. Yes. Thinking back to Smart But Scattered, when we took the inventory and both of us had weaknesses in the area of flexibility. Yes. And I feel like that is like what it's coming down to is you and I could benefit from being more flexible in this way. So you're inspiring me maybe during my sessions coming up. I'll try to be a little bit more loosey goosey. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know. I mean, I sometimes I feel pressure coming from outside from parents. Right. I'm not helping them because I'm not teaching their kid that when they're done with one thing, they need to clean up. But maybe at the very end, the end of the whole session, he helps me clean up a little bit, you know? Yeah, there's probably more of a balance to be had, but... Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because I that has been on my mind lately. Okay, good. See, we're learning. Yeah. We did we learned a lot. You know, yes. this was for preschool teachers, but it just opened up so much for us as SLPs because we think we're the experts on play. But the way I play, I don't even think Lisa would look at it and call that play. Oh yeah. <laughs> she- You know, like the way I play with my elementary school kids, certainly. I mean, yeah, we're playing a game, but I'm this strict enforcer. Okay. Speaking of, I have a really cute little story to tell you. I was in a session and the client was maybe three, 
And I'm talking to the mom and she's like, oh, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, you know, her child calls me Dr. Toys. That's her name for <laughs> me, Dr. Toys. Okay, wait. You said in a previous episode that there was a girl calling you doctor. Is it the same girl? No, different. different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I went from doctor. Now I'm Dr. Toys. I'm like, where is this coming from? Yeah, I wear scrubs, but I'm not even wearing a white coat. Dr. Toys. Dr. Toys. I was just like, yeah, love that. You're like, I'll take it. My new name. You could just talk. Yeah, you could, your business cards could be yeah. Adrian Frost, Dr. Dr. Toys. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Do you have any other final thoughts on Lisa Murphy on play? No, I just, I'm so glad we read this book. I loved it. I feel like there's a lot of things to take away for all of us in our speech therapy practices or with your own children mm -hmm. if you have children so I'm so glad we read it and I feel like it's going to help me be a better speech therapist yeah me too it's already it's made a huge difference in my practice so it's awesome yes okay so that will wrap up our discussion of Lisa Murphy on play the foundation of children's learning but actually we are going to continue to discuss it a little bit next week because we will be interviewing Megan Samuels she is a speech language pathologist based in Nashville she's the owner of Tiny Talkers PLLC and Megan is passionate about providing play and literacy based intervention to young children in both one-on-one -on -one and small group settings she's going to talk to us about her philosophy and her Tiny Talkers curriculum which i am so excited to hear more about i'm a big fan of her posts about her tiny talkers groups and then other therapists that use her curriculum they look like so much fun they are so play-based and she's been reading lisa murphy on play with us this summer and she's ready to give us her takes and let us know what she'll be incorporating into her practice so we can't wait to chat with megan next week and we hope you'll enjoy hearing her perspective as we wrap up this summer covering our book on play-based learning. Can't wait for that. So exciting. Yeah. So we will see you next Tuesday. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. At the SLP Book Club, our mission is to learn, grow, and connect with other SLPs and educators. If you love what we're doing, the best way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever you listen. This helps other SLPs find the show so our community can grow even stronger. We appreciate you so much and hope you keep listening and reading along with us.